Great. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our healthcare coaching session. Uh, today, I'm happy to introduce Becky Curtis, Lisa Creekmer, and Lisa Abney. They are all chronic pain management coaches and instructors at Take Courage Coaching out of Bozeman, Montana. And today, they will be talking about pain management coaching, integrative and complementary strategies for complicated pain. So welcome, ladies, and thank you. Thank you. Well, I am Lisa Kreekmer, and I want to start off by telling you about a lady who probably most of you have seen here in uh, years past. She's a member of the registration desk. And it was maybe three years ago that she, I could tell she was in pain, and I asked her about it, and she said, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to have some procedures, and I'll be all right. And then last year, we approached her again, you know, and I just said, what give it a try. Would you like to give this a try? And her response was, you know, I'm in agony. I'm standing up here behind the registration desk and I am in agony. And I said, if you want, it's available. So she made the decision that she did want it. She'd been eight years with degenerative disc disease, with spondylosis, and in, in agony. She was anxious. You know, she was limited. She never knew how pain was going to make her world smaller. You know, she had a loss of freedom. She couldn't plan. Social is really important to this young lady. And, and she couldn't plan to do things with her husband. You know, a story y'all have all heard with people with complicated pain. And she felt, you know, really like she wasn't an equal partner in her marriage because she was always dependent on her husband to do things for her. You know, that brings her ability, her belief in her ability to do anything she didn't. You know, loss of self-efficacy, loss of self-confidence. I used to be able to do anything I wanted to. And now with this pain, I never know what's going to happen. And that was very depressing for her. You know, uh, it just really shrank her world. She didn't have any hope of it getting better. Her only look, outlook on the future is this is going to continue to get worse. It's, I'm going to continue to degenerate. My world's going to continue to get smaller. I don't know why my husband stays. She had a lot of negative automatic thinking. I mean, it was all just, the world was pretty bleak and small. So uh, I'll turn this over to Ms. Curtis to explain what we did a little bit. So what we were offering her was pain management coaching. And this all came out of um, a bad accident. Some of you may have heard me this morning. I fell asleep while I was driving 11 years ago and broke my neck. Um, I'm an incomplete quadriplegic. Two years after my accident, I developed um, burning nerve pain from the neck down. And so on top of, you know, I have Brown-Saccord syndrome, so I have um, spasticity on this side and hypersensitivity and partial paralysis. And on this side, it looks normal, but I can't feel hot or cold, sharp or dull. So um, in, in going through the, all of this, I, I also developed a syrinx, which is a fluid-filled cyst in the middle of my spinal cord that causes burning nerve pain from the neck down. And this was a really hopeless place. I can really relate to Erin, um, the, the gal we were talking about um, at the beginning. 
And I, we tried all kinds of different medications. We, I finally discovered that there were things that I could do to manage my experience of pain. And in doing so, I decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life helping others to be able to figure out how to manage their pain and have, have a life. And so anyway, we've developed a one-year program. It is, um, we, we work with people on their monthly goals. We assess them when they start at six months and at one year. We have um, statistical significance in all eight areas of the pain outcomes questionnaire, which is really exciting. And we coach them twice a week for a year, once as an individual session, and they have one half an hour um, telephonic individual session once a week and one group telephonic session once a week. In the group session, we teach them all the different modalities. We give them the education they need to be self-managers. Um, and we have 74% um, off opioids, and that is their choice because we are not directive. We are coaching. And we have 56% return to work, which um, we are working with a lot of injured workers and veterans. So this is a group of people that have had pain for a lot of years um, and have been out of work for a lot of years. So that is kind of the basis of this is what we're talking about when we're talking about um, helping Erin get through this. This is what we offered her. And so as this says, it's a therapeutic relationship that counts. Working with health coaching, we really become partners with our clients as they're looking at behavior change and looking about things that they can do to manage their pain. Also, we're, we collaborate with them. We are not telling them what to do. We help elicit what's worked for you in the past. What are some things you think you can do? And so we're really pulling their ideas and their thoughts have you ever worked with anybody and, and you say, well, why don't you just walk around the block after dinner? And you hear a yes, but. Have you heard that? <laughs> yes, but is, I just don't think I can do that. And so with this, what can you do? What makes sense for you? What are some small things that you can do? And that's how we work with that therapeutic, that collaborative, that partnership that is so important within this population. One of the things that we really, uh, I start off all my relationship building with is that I'm just going to trust you, I'm going to believe you, and you know, and, and I'm, I'm not going to judge you. Almost everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to quite a number now, of people with complicated pain feel judged. You know, you're just here to fill in the blank. And, and uh, that's the way that I start all my relationships. Not, no judgment here, so just give that up on the front end. One of the first things that Erin realized was how she inhibited, how she made her world smaller by her negative thinking about what I can't do. You know, I can't, or it's going to hurt real bad, that pain anticipation. If I do, I'll pay for it. And so we really started working on the automatic negative thoughts. That was the beginning place. And well, um, One thing that science now understands by doing functional, uh, FR, functional, F, 
functional MRIs um, is that anticipating pain, when we anticipate pain, um, it utilizes different parts of the brain than feeling pain. Functional MRI allows researchers to see the process of pain in real time as the level of expected pain increases, the region of the brain where pain is processed becomes more active. It also becomes evident that the patient's mental picture of an impending sensory event shapes the neuronal responses. So as we decide that if I go on this trip or if, I, if the weather changes, my pain is going to get worse, those areas of the brain that process pain start processing pain before we even get on the trip. So this is what Erin was doing. She was anticipating that, okay, if I do this, I'm going to have more pain, and what do you know? That's, that's uh, a self-fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> and um, it's really neat now that we can see that this, this is a real thing. This happens. We know that what we focus on, we empower and enlarge, and it's really difficult to focus on anything other than pain. Pain is loud and it can be overwhelming. These are some of Erin's thoughts during the time Lisa was working with her. You know, I, I miss a lot of things. I'm always in pain. Everything is dictated by the way I feel. So pain's in the driver's seat here, you know, and Erin is the victim of the pain. It tells her what she can do, what she can't do, when she can. You know, I'm anxious and I worry about my future. If it's bad now, how bad's it going to be? I don't feel like I can be there for others. People want to be seen as an equal. They don't want to be seen as a dependent. Loss of, loss of independence is a big deal. How can I, as a coach, help this person regain their independence, regain their autonomy? I want to feel like an equal, and I don't. You know, I'm not confident. And this one. Uh, this one just about made me cry. I can't remember the last day I felt joy. Oh, how would you feel if this is out of your life? And it's out of your life because of complicated pain that you can't seem to do anything about it and it just keeps getting worse. And that really that just touched my compassion button big time. So we have this cycle that gets going with someone who has complicated pain. At the top is pain awareness. And then we might have a negative automatic thought, such as, I can't stand this pain one more second. When we have that negative thought, our brain releases stress hormones. When our brain releases stress hormones, we have increased muscle tension, along with a whole list of other things, which increases the pain. And we just get into this downward cycle with our thoughts, and it can be really debilitating. So instead, <laughs> Dead. We have, you know, awareness of how to reframe that, how to bring in the positive thoughts. Maybe not the positive thoughts about the future, but maybe get it smaller. The positive thoughts about now. We start all our sessions with what went well this week. And that's to start changing that perspective right there. You know, we also talk about acceptance and relaxation. Uh, diaphragmatic breathing is one of the very first things that amygdala, you know, bringing out the uh, parasympathetic nervous system response. Increasing movement. How important is that? A body was meant to move, and apparently I'm not working. 
<laughs> and by increasing movement, increasing functionality. So all these are important to start changing the perspective of the person who has the, the pain. All the way up. Sweet, we can hear you. I don't talk loud enough. <laughs> Start changing their perspective on themselves. Start building that self-efficacy. And it's important that the goals are motivated by what's important to the client, not what's important to the clinician. We'll get around to what you know I might think is important, but right now we need to build the self-efficacy on what's important to them. Go ahead. So these are the tools that, that Lisa started out with. Yeah. Aaron's very first goal, the very first time we worked on this was I will take stock of my negative attitude. She didn't realize she had a negative attitude. She, you know, it was negative, yes, but it was realistic. It was what was. And we started that off with just introducing a little bit of gratitude and looking for those small instances where we could bring a little positive light into the situation. Gratitude is such an important tool. You know, gratitude helps with depression. Gratitude helps to change the whole perspective of the world around me. If I can just begin to start bringing that in. And those, this was the very first goal. So it's a cognitive goal. We're not going into action right away. We're starting working on the cognitive and we'll get on to the action later. So we know that happiness is an attitude. We can either make ourselves miserable or happy and strong. The amount of work is the same. <laughs> and um, this is something that is paramount when we're working with people with complicated pain. Neuroscientists believe the best way to alter our feelings is to ask questions, like positive questions, such as what am I thankful for and what am I, what am I excited about? In this way, the limbic system is flooded with positive anticipation that induces a positive emotional state. And just because we're talking about positivity doesn't mean that we're Pollyannas and that we don't understand or we're trying to put just a positive spin on it. We know things are rough. We know things are a challenge. But even being grateful that I had a hot cup of coffee today, something that simple can kind of help slowly change that mind space. And exercising these, exercising our gratitude, exercising a more positive outlook on life can really help us in a lot of different ways. There's been a lot of research done on both of these topics and they've really been able to show how it's improved depression, how it's improved overall outlook. And it's something that you have, you sometimes have some of this, but you really have to exercise this looking at how can I be grateful today? What's one or two things that I can do to show my gratitude? If you look at strengths, gratitude is one of the top strengths to help people feel better about themselves and to help increase their self-efficacy. So even though we know, we know all this, it all takes work. It all takes a little bit of daily practice to focus. Intentionality. Intentionality. So this is one of Aaron's quotes too. Uh, we keep a record of where people begin so we can take them back to where they begin and they can also see their progress. 
And one of hers that we really love is I didn't know you could rebuild neuronal pathways. So having this knowledge, she started working on ways to change her mind, literally. Her second week goal was she started uh, deep breathing and started doing it with a phone alarm. You know, so she could uh, become in the habit of deep breathing, not just with pain, but to begin to get this to be her normal pattern of breathing instead of holding her breath or uh, very shallow breathing as people who in chronic pain usually do. She wanted to be present, wanted to be mindful. And so we started uh, using her senses more, really getting into instead of having the podcast on when she walked, being aware of the sounds, of the smells in the air, really engaging her amygdala and calming present things, feeling the sunlight on your skin. And so we got her more into her body and into the moment. Mindfulness is so important because if I'm in this moment, I'm not way out here 20 years from now when I'm in a nursing home or whatever. I, I keep in my mind here, and usually the moment is enough anybody can handle. So if we can get the people to come back into their body, back in the moment, and it's not, I make very clear, this is not about getting rid of your pain. This is about getting you in charge of your pain, getting some control. And I also tell everybody that they have a choice. You can go on as you are, and that's fine. That's your choice. Or you can try something different. So that's where we were. She was getting control over her negative thinking. So we know that pain is 100% of the time processed in the brain. Um, Lisa mentioned that when people start, we, we let them know that we believe them and we won't judge them. And so we're not, just, we're not just saying that pain is all in your head, but all pain is processed in the brain. Um, Dr. Michael Moskowitz um, has, um, d does a lot of work with neuroplasticity and chronic pain patient. And he says that 5% of nerve cells are normally dedicated to pain processing. But as we think about those over and over and over again, as we focus, what we focus on, we empower and enlarge those Nine areas of the conscious brain that process pain can grow up to 25% of the cells in the brain. And the process of repetition reinforces the strength, strength of brain pathways, which causes real change in the brain. So here is a brain, uh, at th this is one of his, um, his pictures here. Here is a brain, and here is the brain after it focuses on pain. See, so it went from that to this. And that is what's happening when, when we have chronic pain. And so as we work with people on things like gratitude and breathing from the diaphragm and mindfulness and some of these kind of things, it takes the focus away from pain in the same way that these nine areas of the brain um, can become consumed by pain. We can also go the other direction. We know that... that um, what we don't use, we lose. Did anybody learn a language in high school and hasn't used it since? How, how is it? <laughs> Not so good? <laughs> if you use it over and over again, it can just get better and easier and easier, just like learning to drive. Um, just not too long ago, taught a, one of my kids how to drive, and you know, nothing is automatic. Where's the gas pedal? Where's the brake pedal? Brake pedal, please! <laughs> you know, I'm just... Uh, 
remembering that very stressful time because they don't, they don't, you know, even keeping it between the lines. But after we've been driving for a while, I can get somewhere and I can think, how did I get here? Was I paying attention? I hope I didn't run through any lights because it's just automatic. And that's what happens with chronic pain. It is our focus and we just think about it over and over and over again and it becomes a four-lane highway. And what we're wanting to do is help people take that four-lane highway and have it grow over with blackberry bushes and boulders and rocks and have a new four-lane highway that goes to the positive, to what's healthy and what's whole. And so that's kind of our goal as, as coaches. Change talk is how that all starts. Change talk is something that's used a lot in motivational interviewing. That's kind of what makes that technique a little bit different. MI is really helped, was developed back in the 1980s to really help folks who are ambivalent about change. On one hand, they know they want to change, and on the other hand, I kind of like where I am. So you're kind of in that ambivalent state. And so as coaches, we're listening for what our clients desire what their reasons to change, their need to change, their ability to change. And as we're talking to them, we're pulling on this and we're listening for it and asking a little bit more and pulling a little more so then that they're starting to talk about change much more. They're really starting to make it realistic in their life. And that change helps lead to the goal setting, helps lead to that behavior change. Here are examples. This is sustained talk, the first ones. I've really been in a bad spot. I pushed myself. I feel guilty for not pushing myself. And these are what we call sustained talk. We're staying the same. This last one, it's okay to change my mind. My beliefs need to uplift me. So she's, we listen for desire, abilities, reasons, and needs. And those are places you can build on. What do you need? What do you desire? What are your reasons for desiring to change? And that's what we listen to. So my beliefs, that's where I would ping, not that I feel guilty. You know, well, you shouldn't feel guilty. That's not going to get you anywhere with your client. Yeah, I should. They'll start arguing the other side. That's sustained talk. But go to when you hear the desires, abilities, reasons, and needs, and there is where you can get the ambivalence to move. But, you know, ambivalence is normal. It's a natural, normal place to be before you change. Do I want to? Do I, you know? So if you can really listen on to their reasons, their needs, that's where your change can start. This is one of my favorites, Dr. Kristen Neff and NEFF. And you can go to her website at selfcompassion.org and there are a lot of good exercises and good ideas one of the things about self-compassion is it takes the person out of that isolation. It gives, um, you know, it's a human condition and you're not in this all alone. Self-compassion, in my experience, is one of the most powerful things that you can present to the pain person, pain client. They feel bad about themselves, they feel less than, stupid, weak, uh, a freak. Uh, I've heard all of these things from them. Self-compassion. Who wouldn't feel this loss that you're feeling? That's normal. To normalize anything is like, you're the first person to ever call me normal. You know, <laughs> to normalize really takes a lot of that shame and guilt out of having chronic pain. That, 
what disease has so much guilt associated with it? You know, I'm a failed surgery. You know, I'm a failure. And so to change that concept of myself is I still have abilities. I, I'll never forget the one that we started our first call and she starts listing her nine different disabilities. And when she took a breath, I said, well, wait a minute. I, what I really want to hear about are your abilities. And she's like, nobody's ever asked me this. <laughs> and so we started working with what she already had, her abilities, instead of trying to you know, invent something what she already had, her creativity, and then she started making goals about how she could walk and how she could do this and that out of that strength, out of that ability she still had, and not out of all her disability. Self-compassion, in my humble opinion, is very important when working with somebody with complicated pain that they can get this compassion for themselves. They might have it for anybody else, but not for themselves. And so when you're talking about change, and you're talking about lifestyle change, consider that it's not necessarily an easy fix. Imagine someone who smokes. They may have smoked for 20 years, and they've reinforced that behavior for 20 years. So we work with our clients for about a year to really give them that time to think through this process, have some experiments, play around with it a little bit, find out what works for them, and helps them feel successful. And you know, as Poots, it's the favorite day. Each day is a blessing. And to be able to have our clients feel in the moment is so important. And that self-compassion and change. And these are some more Aaron wisdom. Y'all are going to get to meet Aaron in a few minutes. <laughs> that lifestyle change takes a long time, and I'm starting to think about my tools as part of my day. That deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, pacing, all these tools we teach. And what we do uh, last year, and we have 50 different group classes that are all educational about different tools. And then this other one, I'm more in the moment when I'm actively using my tools. So to shrink that, that moment of pain down to a moment instead of a lifetime each day. This lady is Jennifer Britton. She has done a lot of work in coaching and in group coaching. And she says that we, adults do their best learning when they have that ability to discover those insights. When our clients, when we elicit what their ideas are, what they want to accomplish. We're listening to that change talk. We hear the sustained talk, but we're not focusing on it. But our clients have the answers, and they need to realize they're the experts on themselves. And we're listening to them as collaborators to help them feel like, yeah, I can do this. And they're able to come up with those answers. You'll hear, we've used a couple of words as we've gone through called motivational interviewing. Has anybody ever heard of motivational interviewing? Okay, great. Just about everybody. Yeah. <laughs> MI was actually developed by doctors William Miller and Stephen Rolnick back in the early 1980s. Um, back then when they were working with folks who were working with drug abuse and alcohol abuse, it was a very confrontational style. And Dr. Miller, you know, this isn't working really good. Uh, yelling at him's not doing anything. I'm not really good with that. 
And so he and, and Dr. Rolnick developed a set of skills to help focus on collaboration. We're working with our patients and our clients. We're working together to help them solve their own problems. We also focus, when we talk about the spirit of MI, the spirit of MI is where we, when we're using these skills, we're a partner. That's the main thing we're working as a collaborator and a partner. We accept them where they are unconditionally. We have compassion, and we're drawing the answers and the wisdom from our clients to really help them find what's within them to help them solve the problems. Now, as you see, there's kind of four processes when you think about motivational interviewing. When you think about motivational interviewing, you think you've got about 20, 30 minutes to sit down and talk with someone. Engagement, focusing on the problem, evoking some of the change talk, evoking their ideas, and planning. Realistically, we don't have that kind of time in the clinic. We have maybe 10 or 15 minutes. How can I use some of these skills to help my patients move forward? I don't know if any guys, you guys have ever heard of a group um, that actually are coming out of um, the Northeast. It's the Center for Collaboration and Motivational Interviewing. We've got some brief action plans. These folks are very versed in MI. They um, are part of the organization Lisa and I are, Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. This is a really great roadmap, a flow sheet, if you will, that you guys can use in the office, how to talk with clients about maybe possibly making a change. You walk right through it. Is there anything you'd like to work on in your health in the next few weeks? Help them set behavioral goals. Gives you hints and ideas on how to do that. Very MI-centric, and it's a great tool. Come by our desk, and we'll be sure to give you one of these. Uh, they've given us permission to give these out. It's really a great little tool to use. So as we're coaching people, the notion of brain plasticity is fundamental to new developments in pain management. There is recognition that the same neuronal changeability that contributes to the persistence of pain could potentially allow its resolution. Evidence suggests that focused attention can increase neuronal plasticity and hence be used to positively reprogram brain pathways. I don't know about you guys, but that is so exciting. I, I know you guys are, are maybe not quite as excited as, as I am about that, but the same neuronal plasticity can be used to positively reprogram brain pathways. As somebody with complicated pain, that is huge. And as we work with people um, every day, we, we get to be participants in reprogramming these brain pathways or, or working, walking beside them as they do that and, and get their lives back. Um, I would like to introduce you guys to Erin. Many of you probably have seen her at the desk. She helps check you in. But this is the young lady we've been talking about for the last hour, <laughs> 45 minutes. And it's been really exciting to watch the change um, I think, she, oh, that one, okay. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Um, gosh, I sat here listening to this and I had to rewrite, I had to reframe everything I was going to say to you today. Because I, I feel like, you know, Becky 
when we, she was putting this together, we talked a little bit about what I had gone through before I started coaching. And as I was listening to her talk to you, I thought, it's, I, got, I have to strip it down for you and get really real and tell you what was really happening. So when I started coaching just almost a year ago, I was 18 months of a lot of uh, trauma and stress. Um, I'd lost a brother, a father, a baby, built a house, uh, sold a house, moved twice, got married. Um, I can't even, there's a couple other things in there, and not in that order. And not only was I in chronic pain here at Pain Week, oddly or coincidentally, I was an emotional train wreck. So I was carrying that all around with me. And when I ran into Lisa earlier, she was like, oh my gosh, you look so different than you did a, week, a year ago. Because I was a disaster. Um, and I think that's important for you to hear. Because for me to be standing here in front of you right now, feeling as emotionally light and really pretty much pain is, is my pain is very controlled. Um, that's a huge testament to the time that Lisa's given me this past year in my coaching. Um, I had no idea the things, the way that I talked to myself in my head, the way that I framed my day when I would get up or the things that I avoided. I didn't realize what I was really doing to myself. And so I've taken an enormous ownership of that over the last year. Um, you know, just... I had no idea how much that impacted my day just by starting off saying, oh, God, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go work that meeting because it's going to be 12-hour 12 12 days, I'm going to be a wreck. You know, it's just, uh, I started my days that way, and uh, I have a whole toolbox of things to use to sort of reframe the way I think about myself, the way I think about things that my challenges ahead of me. Um, it's been pretty remarkable for me. I... You know, what I was going to tell you when I got up here was earlier this year I spent two weeks in Italy. First of all, thinking about that trip when we first started talking was awful for me because I, all I could think of was, oh my gosh, well, how am I going to do, how am I going to climb the steps here and climb the steps? Really? You're going to Italy? Come on, you know? Get with it, sister. <laughs> so we started just kind of think, uh, thinking about that trip differently. But what I realized when I was there was... I was so, every day, you know, you wake up and you're in this beautiful place, and I was grateful. I was fully present. I had joy every day. Um, I learned, you know, of course, over the year, I've learned how to pace myself. And that was a story I wanted to tell you, like, oh, look at, you know, that, that same theory of going on this vacation and how I felt. I moved every day, right? I movement every day. And I felt wonderful. I was pain-free entirely for two weeks. It was remarkable. Um, but what really struck me as I, as I was listening to everybody kind of go through my, you know, information about me, I, it struck me, I was like, that's how I have to start approaching every day, right? Every day has to be about little things. The little, you know, oh, I'm grateful for my latte today. And they, they, they really helped me. They've really changed my, my mentality. It just didn't know how much it impacted, impacted me and it's such a negative way. Um, the coaching for me 
it's sort of like, right now I'm trying to quit carbs and sugar. I'm into week three. I hope I was lovely to all of you when you checked in. Because <laughs> our staff room is loaded with a full candy bar, and it's every day it's torture for me to walk in there. Um, but every day is constantly constant awareness, right? It's, okay, what's in this? I've got to avoid this. I'm fully aware of that. And the same thing applies to my pain. Yesterday was a 21-hour day coming in here. I was up at 3 East Coast time, flew in here. You know, it was a long day. And by the time I got into bed, I hadn't had pain like that in a while. I was really in pain, and I just turned the lights out. It, was, it hurt me to lie in that amazing bed. I did my breathing. I got myself, you know, sort of in my moment and focused, happy, and I drifted off to sleep. I mean, I would have never approached it that way before. So I'm, for me, this has been um, the coaching every day. That's where I was going with that. I, I've said on many occasions, I've said, oh, my gosh, do we really need to do this every week? Because it seems a little obsessive. Or, you know, excessive. <laughs> I needed it every week. It's the same thing with the, That's where I was going. Sorry, my train of thought spun out there. But I needed it every week, right? The same thing if you think about your carbs and your sugar every day. I needed the coaching every week because it really takes so long to break all the bad habits. Um, so, I don't know. It's really been a great experience for me. And, and uh, you've all been so fantastic and, and lovely to work with. And... Uh, you said earlier, you know, not judging and, or, you know, the accountability part is there, but it's in this compassionate way that really made an impact in my life. So. Thank you, Erin. We have a couple other pictures of you and your trip here. Oh, Italy. Yeah, Italy was great. I, I think I could be pain-free there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to experiment with that. Total <laughs> utopia of life, so. Yeah. Just try to yeah. replicate that every day is, and is what I'm this is on. her next trip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ireland. Ireland. I might want to... End of this month. Yeah. End of this month. End of this month. Yeah. Um, I, I want to leave a few minutes for questions and answers. Um, thank you so much, Erin, for, for sharing your story. Thank you.